Impact Church of Williams. We are so delighted to have you worship with us this morning in person, and we want to welcome all of those who are worshiping with us via live stream. Uh, we are so delighted to have you here this morning, and we give God praise for both mediums and modes of worship because we recognize he is a gracious God, worthy to be praised, and we just thank him for all that he does. Matter of fact, can we just give the Lord a hand clap of praise this morning for his goodness? Uh, none like him, and he is so worthy to be praised. Uh, I'm glad to be back. Uh, took a few uh, weeks off because I needed some time to refresh, also to write and to uh, accomplish a few things. I wrote a few journal articles and want to get those published, and so I had some, needed some time to devote some energy to that. But I'm so glad to be back, and I just thank God for uh, the grace and the uh, opportunity to do that. And I recognize it's because of our great uh, body of believers, our staff that we have, who fills in and does so many things well that we can uh, do this. And so I just praise God and give him glory for that. Impact Church, before we dive into the text today and begin our new series, I have a couple announcements I just kind of want to make and just want to update you on some things. And I want to do it on a Sunday morning so that we didn't have to do anything additional, a new video or anything. And one of the things I want to do is I want to announce kind of where we are. Uh, our mission at Impact Church has remained constant and it will not change. Uh, through COVID-19, uh, economic crisis, social unrest, we are committed to our mission, which is to make disciples of Jesus Christ, to impact the world for time and eternity. That's our mission. That's who we are. That's why we exist. And that's what we seek to do. We seek to make disciples of Jesus Christ to impact the world for time and eternity. Number one, our mission hadn't changed. So we're still committed to that mission and seeing it come to fruition. But one of the things we are doing is we are going to transition. September, uh, beginning September 6th, we're going to welcome everyone back to church. We feel that the time has come for us to open the doors and allow everyone to come back and worship in person. Uh, we know the church has always been essential. It has never changed its position as being essential uh, because of what we said, number one, uh, which is to make disciples of Jesus Christ. And so we're going to open the church and we want you to come back. We will still continue to do our live stream classes, uh, our live streaming of the sermons, but we will also do Zoom classes on Sunday morning for our Bible fellowships. One thing will change is we're going to shift from Wednesday night to Tuesday nights, and we're going to have our Wednesday night classes and also our Bible study shift to Tuesday night. We're going to do that beginning in September as well. So that will be a change. And the next change, which is number three, is we're going to go back to our normal times of worship on Sunday mornings. We're going to worship at 8.30 and 10.30 like we did previously. So for those of us who like to get up early, we're going back to our 8.30 service and also our 10.30 service. We believe that we can shift back and go back to the way we were doing things and just continue forward. So we want to welcome everybody back. And we have taken some precautionary measures to ensure your safety when you come on our campus. We made sure we sanitize the facility, the fixtures and everything, the exterior, interior, daily. We're going to have some companies come in and sanitize our air ducts, our floors, and make certain that everything is up to par constantly so that when you come, you can come and worship with a level of comfort. We believe it's important for that to be. But we also believe that it's important that we fulfill what God has told us in the book of Hebrews. He tells us to not the forsaking of the assembling of ourselves. 
And so we want to do that with wisdom. Yes, we're going to have our masks, so I keep mine handy. We keep our masks, and we have those for precautionary measures. I have our sanitizer and all that good stuff, but at the same time, we want to come back. And I say that because when I go to HEB, Kroger, Walmart, when I go to restaurants and other places, I see people fellowshipping and having a great time. And if we can do it out there, certainly we can do it in here. Amen? And so we are looking forward to that. So you will see information going forward, and we want you to participate and be a part of it. So in fact, we want to welcome you back, and we're looking forward to what the Lord is going to do. Amen? This morning, we're going to be in the book of John, the book of John. If you have your Bibles, I know you do. Um, we want you to turn with me to the book of John. We're going to be in John chapter 6, and we are beginning our series on who is Jesus? Who is Jesus? That is our series we are beginning. Who is Jesus? And we're going to be in the Gospel of John. As always, we ask that you please text, tweet, or post something from the service. Text, tweet, or post something from the service. We want you to witness and to share something from our service and let people know, hey, that our worship with Impact Church of the Woodlands, 54-1 shall be in place. Uh, myimpactchurch.org that I was there, worship with them and this is something I gleaned from the service and we want to make certain that you share that so people know that we are here and it's a great opportunity for us to make Jesus Christ known. Uh, so please make certain that you text, tweet, or post something from the service and let people know that you worship with us and we will be so thankful and I'm certain it will make an impact for uh, the glorious kingdom of God. But our text today is going to be in John. Uh, John, the gospel of John, you know, the gospels are so great because they are so powerful and each gospel is written and it has a different message and a different uh, perspective audience that he's writing to. And that's why we call them the gospels and synoptic gospels. They're seeing the same, but they're writing from a different perspective to a different audience. And so we're going to be in John chapter six. I want to read a few verses out of John six. I'm going to read verses twenty six. Uh, through 35 and so I'm going to ask if you would please stand and those of you at home you can stand at home watching this via live stream we want you to be a part of this and we stand why do we stand we stand in reverence for the reading of God's word we want to always hold the inerrant infallible authoritative inspired word of God near dear and true to our hearts and so we stand in reverence as we read his word so I'm in John chapter 6 I'm going to begin at verse 26 Jesus answered them and said, truly, truly, I say to you, you seek me not because you saw signs, but because you ate of the loaves and were filled. Do not work for the food which perishes, but for the food which endures to eternal life, which the son of man will give to you. For on him, the father, God has set his seal. Therefore, they said to him, what shall we do so that we may work the works of God? Jesus answered and said to them, this is the work of God, that you believe in him whom he has sent. So they said to him, what then do you do for a sign so that we may see and believe you? What work do you perform? Our fathers ate the manna in the wilderness as it is written. He gave them bread out of heaven to eat. Jesus said to them, truly, truly, I say to you. It is not Moses who has given you the bread out of heaven, but it is my father who gives you the true bread out of heaven. For the bread of God is that which comes down out of heaven and gives life to the world. Then they said to him, Lord, always give us this bread. Jesus said unto them, I am the bread of life. 
He who comes to me will not hunger, and he who believes in me will never thirst. You may be seated. Father God, we love you. We thank you for your truth. We thank you for your word. We thank you for all that you give us, Lord. Lord, there is none like you, and we are so delighted to be called the sheep of your pasture. And so, Lord, we ask that you guide us, be with us as we read your word, as we look into it. And Lord, for that, we will be certain to give you the praise, the glory, and the honor. We ask it all in the mighty majestic name of Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. Amen. In the early 20th century, a movement in psychology began in Germany and in Austria called the Gestalt Psychology. The psychology sought to explain the perceptions in terms of Gestalt rather than by analyzing their constituents. And so as a result of this movement, one law emerged from the Gestalt Psychology that was called the law of close proximity. The law of close proximity. Proximity has to do with that closeness in relation to space, time, and relationship. When you talk about proximity, you're talking about something that's in closeness in relation to space, time, and relationship. And so in the law of close proximity, it is simply defined as this, is that elements that are close to each other are perceived to be related when compared to elements that are separate from each other. Elements that are close in proximity to one another, close in relation to one another are perceived to be related due to the closeness. But when things are separate from each other, they are perceived to be different. I saw that law and I thought about this gospel of John and Jesus' message. Jesus Christ was dealing with the law of close proximity with the people that he was trying to minister to. Jesus had a hard time convincing them and getting them to perceive and to see and understand, to really comprehend who he really was. They never grasped who Jesus was, and I'm convinced it was because of the law of close proximity. Mr. Roche, well, how do you see that? Let me explain it like this. There were two groups that Jesus was trying to get to see in this text, and we're going to get to it here in a second. In John chapter 6, 26 through 40, he has the crowd that is there. He's trying to get to understand who he is. In 41 through 58, we have the critics that he's trying to get to see who he is. But both the crowd and the critics couldn't see due to the law of close proximity. They had been around Jesus and they did not comprehend who he really was. Why? Because in space, Jesus was born in Bethlehem, possibly in a manger. Jesus had been baptized in the Jordan River by John. That space, they were invaded by Jesus' space. But also time-wise, Jesus was born about 6, 5 B.C. At 12 years of age, Jesus is in the temple reasoning with the teachers of the law. 
He is there in time and in space in their sphere. And so he was in close proximity to them. And as a result of being in close proximity, they didn't differentiate Jesus from themselves. But also in relationship, you remember Jesus is the son of Joseph. Mary is his mother. Jesus' brothers and sisters lived there. And so Jesus was in close proximity in space, in time, and in relationship to the crowds and the critics. And therefore, they did not perceive his greatness. They didn't see Jesus who he was. And that's why in John 1, 11, it says, he came to his own. And his own received him not. You know how it is. Sometimes those who are the closest to us are the ones who appreciate us the least. Somebody ought to say amen to that. It is the ones you have birthed, you have bathed. It is the ones you have cared for. I mean, in close proximity, you have carried on your back, in your arms. They're in close proximity, and it is often the ones who are the closest in space in time, and in relationship who never appreciate you for all that you are worth. I know somebody shouting amen and saying hallelujah. Somebody, they're watching live stream. You're running around your house right about now. Stay with me, stay with me. Jesus begins to set the stage so they can comprehend and see who he is in the first part of John chapter 6. Don't you see this? Watch. In 6, 1 through 14, Jesus performs the miracle of the fishes and the loaves. Here it is. He has 5,000 men plus women and children. He has one young man there who has five loaves of bread and two fish. And so what did Jesus do? He takes it, he blesses it, he breaks it, and he passes it out. He does this miracle for one reason. He's trying to get the crowd and the critics to see. He is attempting to remove the veil to break the law of close proximity so that they can see that there is something unique about this Nazarene. There's something distinct about this one who was born in Bethlehem. This man, the son of Joseph, Mother, who's his, Mary, who's his mother, there is something different about this Jesus. So he performs a miracle. The only problem is, is that the people did not quite get it. See, the miracle was to demonstrate his dynamism. It was to show that he has power over the very nature. He can bless and multiply something. It was also to show his destiny, that he had been destined, he had been sent from the Father to accomplish certain things, but also to demonstrate that he was the deliverer, that he was the Messiah, the one that had been promised, that he was the Son of God, he was deity. But they missed it in the fishes and the loaves. Those two groups are still there. But Jesus is going to try to show them something else about himself. And this is what I want you to see in this text. 22 through 40, we're going to see that we need to seek the master above the manna. That's point number one. 
We need to seek the master above the manna. These crowds are going to come to him, and as they are coming to him, they are not concerned about Jesus, the master. They are concerned about the manna that came from the master. I want to pause and ask you a question. Who is Jesus to you? Who is Jesus to you? Is Jesus just the one who gives you the manna? Is he the one who gives you just the bread for your physical body? Is he the one that gives you the bread in your wallet and in your purse? You know, we do call money bread also. Yeah, yeah. Really understand what I'm talking about. We call it bread. Why do we call it bread? Because it is a staple. It is necessary for our existence. But is Jesus to you truly master or are you just want Jesus to be the one who provides your manna, whatever form that manna may come in? Here it is. The crowds are there and they are looking to Jesus. And they have these questions for him. And we just saw this in the text we read. As they come to Jesus, the crowd and Jesus is telling them, he says, you're not seeking me because of the signs I perform. He says, you are seeking me because you were filled from the loaves, the fishes that I gave to you. Verse 26. He says, your real motive is not because you have a love for me, because you recognize that I am the son of God. I am truly the one who will give you eternal life. He says, you are coming to me only for what you can get from me. Wow. He says, I need you to do the works, not for food which perishes. He says, not the temporal, but for food which endures to eternal life. He says, that's what you need to focus on. And the people ask him, look in verse 28. What should we do to do the works of God? He said, the works of God is believe on him whom the father has sent. He said, the work is to have faith in me, the one who has been sent by the father. He says, if you truly want to do the works and the question becomes, have we really transferred our faith to Christ that we believe him to truly be our master? Are we just looking to Christ? Are we just coming to church because we want him to give us a blessing? We want him to open up the floodgates of heaven and pour out a blessing upon us. We want him to make our crops prosper, our portfolios, our businesses, our health. What is the real reason that you are seeking the master? These people here, the crowd, they were seeking him because of the manna. Look what they tell him. They said, what are you going to do for a sign so we can believe you? See that in verse 30? They were seeking and asking Jesus, we need you to do a sign. Do something so that we will believe that you are who you say you are. They said, we're not quite convinced. Why weren't they convinced? Because of the law of close proximity. They were still so close. Though he took the fish and the loaves, he fed 5,000. There were pieces that were picked up. Though he has done this miraculous work, he's turned water into wine. He has done all these signs and they are still asking for another sign. 
I want you to pause there for a minute. I want to ask you the question. And I want you to think long and hard about this. You're watching my live stream. Think long and hard about this. Think with me. What more can Jesus do to make you believe he is who he say he is? What more? He's granted us our health. He's given us life. He protects us while we're asleep. He ensures we have food in the pantry. He watches over us when we drive on I-45 that has been ranked as the most dangerous interstate in the country. And yet we are still wondering, is he truly the master? They were asking the question. They wanted to see a sign. That's the crowd. The crowd did not believe him. They were not convinced. They said, our fathers ate manna from the, in the wilderness. He gave him bread out of heaven to eat. They said, we want to see you rain down manna, rain down blessings upon us, provide for us food. We want to see you just bless us abundantly. We don't want to have to work. We want the overflow. We want to sit back and relax. Jesus, give it to us. See that? And so often we have to question our motives for why we really serve him. Why is he truly our Lord? Jesus told him, he says, I say to you, it is not Moses who has given you the bread out of heaven, but my father who gives you the true bread out of heaven. He says, you are trying to give the credit to Moses. He said, but if it wasn't for my father, he said, if it wasn't for his goodness, for his mercy and his grace, he said, he was the one who gave you the true bread. He said, and that bread is standing here right before you and you are missing the real bread of life that is standing in your presence. He said, for the bread of God is that which comes down and gives life to the world. Write this down real quick because I want you, don't want you to miss this. When Jesus says that he is the bread that comes down out of heaven, he is denoting three key points, three key points about who he is. First of all, he's denoting that he was born of the Virgin Mary. He's identifying his virgin birth. Why is that? Because if he came from heaven, that means that he did not have an earthly father. So he comes from heaven. That means his origin was from God. So he is denoting that he is of virgin birth, born without sin. The second thing he's denoting is that he is eternal. Jesus is demonstrating here that if I came from heaven, that means I was with the father. I was there in the beginning before time. And that's why John begins. And he says, in the beginning was the word and the word was with God and what the word was God. In the beginning, Jesus was there before there was time. He says, I was there. The virgin birth, his eternality. And then he is denoting his ability to give eternal life. Three things. Jesus is explaining and revealing to them. He says, this is who I am. He says, the problem is you are looking for manna, fish and loaves. He says, you want the blessings and you miss who I am due to space, time and relationship. 
They wanted what the master could provide over the master. Jesus says to them, he said, I am the bread of life. He who comes to me will not hunger, and he who believes in me will never thirst. I, I, I like this. I like this. This is the first of seven, what the Greek phrase says, the ego I means. The ego I means is the I am statements. Jesus declares who he is. He says, I am. And he begins with, I am the bread. And he's letting them know something about himself. He says, I am the bread that's not only going to provide for you in time to sustain your physical body. He said, but I'm also that bread that's going to provide for you in eternity. I'm going to give you eternal life. He says, and if you come to me, he says, you will never hunger and never thirst. Let me pause for a minute, see if I can unpackage that for you real quick. There's a Greek construction that's used here in John 6.35. And in the Greek, for the negation, he used may. He uses that plus an aorist subjunctive. Dan Wallace in his Greek grammar, he explains on page 468 that when you use the negation may plus the subjunctive in the Greek, he says you are denoting the strongest negation possible in the Greek language. He says, when you do that, you're saying there is not even the potential for something happening. He says, Ume rules out the even possibility of that happening. So when Jesus tells them you will never hunger, you will never thirst, he says, there is no potential, no possibility. If you eat me, if you place your faith and trust in me for you to ever hunger or thirst for anything, he said, because I give you eternal life. Anybody receive that this morning? Jesus is saying to us this morning, he says, if you come and feast upon me, the true bread of life, he says, you will not hunger nor thirst. He said, because I am the true bread of life that will sustain you in time as well as in eternity. That's the message. That's who Jesus Christ is. He says, you don't have to worry about anything if you truly feast upon this bread, which is truly the bread of life. One of the greatest Macedonian rulers and one of the greatest military minds in the history of Macedonia was none other than Alexander the Great. I mean, no one has come close to the accomplishments of Alexander the Great. Alexander the Great established one of the largest, the largest empire in the ancient world, one that had ever been seen. He was known for his determination, his bloodthirsty mindset, his ruthlessness, his brilliance, his diplomacy, but also one key thing, one key ingredient, his charisma and his ability to get men to follow him even to their death. Alexander the Great was known for this. In 336, his father was assassinated, Philip of Macedon, and he ascended to the throne, Alexander did. 
He had to kill some people to get it. But at the young age of 20, he claimed Macedonian throne and he killed his rivals. He is the king. He accomplished so much at a young age and by the age of 32, he had conquered in this vast region. He is the king of the empires. But after he did all of this conquering, the one thing that Alexander never did conquer was himself. It's incredible. Conquered vast regions of territory, could convince people to follow him, but he never conquered himself. And the account goes and says that one night after a drunken stupor and orgy, he falls deathly ill. And he is sick. But it was in the context of his lying there, staring and facing death. That Alexander, at the age of 32, began to have a sharper focus and view of all the things that he had accomplished. The conquest of land, the temporal value of his immense wealth, the brief loyalty of men. And he began to see the limited ability of his sword, his horse, and his army. As he's lying there on his deathbed, Alexander calls his generals and he says, I'm about to depart this world. He says, but I have three wishes that I need you guys to carry out for me. He says, I need you to carry them out without fail. Three wishes. He says, the first is this. He says, I want the best physicians in their areas to carry my body in a procession to his final resting place. He said, I want the best physicians to do it. He says, number two, he said, I want the path that leads to where my body is going to be placed. I want it to be lined with gold, with silver, and precious jewels of value. He said, I want the road to be lined with all of those things. I want the physicians carrying my body and I want what they walk on it to be lying. I want all of those jewels to be strong there on the ground. He says, but the other thing is, he said, I want my casket, I want my hands to lie out. I want them to just to be laid open for everybody to be able to see. He said, these are my three requests. He said, I want you to carry this out for me. The generals looked at him and knowing that he's ill, knowing that he is on his deathbed, they're like, why these three requests? What is the reason behind it? And Alexander told them. He said, I want the best physicians to carry my body because I want the world to know that no physician can save my body and deliver me from death. They don't possess the ability even with the best skills. He said, I want the world to understand that in the context of death, in the face of death, all of the wealth, all of the splendor of the world, it can't save you from death. He said, I want everybody to see my empty hands because I want them to realize that 
in the context of death, when you die, nothing you have in time will be able to be taken into eternity. Naked I came and naked I will leave. Jesus is trying to get us to understand here that the physicians can't save us. Your wealth can't save you. You will take nothing out other than him, the bread of life. He uses the bread to demonstrate who he really is. And I want to ask you a question this morning. Have you been a recipient of the bread of life? Do you realize who Jesus is? He says, I am the bread of life. Yes, that's who he is. I love the fact that Jesus used bread to communicate this truth. Why, Roche? Let me tell you why. Why? Stay with me. Stay with me. Bread is an essential element. And it is essential in every country, in every culture, in every class, and in every context. I don't care what area you go to, where in the world you live, bread has always been a fixture. Go back to Genesis chapter 319. You see bread there. God mentioned it in the context of the Garden of Eden. And throughout civilization, bread has been a fixture. And everybody needs bread. In the Jewish context, they really understood what Jesus was saying. Because in the courtyard of the home, right there in the center, there was an oven where they cooked the bread. So everyone in the family would see when they come out that oven in the courtyard cooking the bread. They saw it and bread was so essential for the Jewish life and existence. And so everybody knew about bread. They carried the bread to eat, broke the bread, didn't waste the bread. They picked up the pieces, and that's why they had the little baskets they would carry. Everybody understood the significance of bread. It's essential for life. And so what does Jesus do? He says, just as bread is essential, he says, I am the bread that is essential, not just for your physical, but for your eternal. He says, I am the bread of life. Jesus says, that's who I am. And I hope this morning that you realize that Jesus is truly the bread of life. He is the great I am. You see, the crowds weren't grasping, and the critics were not much better. If you look in the other part of John, beginning in verse 41, the critics are there. And the Bible says, therefore, the Jews, Merle Tenney said, it would be better to say those in opposition. Because it wasn't just maybe Jews, there were other factions that came together and there were people who went in opposition to Jesus Christ. And they were grumbling when Jesus says, I am the bread of life. They're like, how can he say that he is virgin born? How can he say that he is eternal? How can he say that he gives eternal life? They said, Isn't that Joseph's son? Look in your Bible. How can he say this? I'm the bread that came down to hell. They says, is this not Jesus, verse 42, the son of Joseph, whose father and mother we know? How does he say, I have come down from heaven? They, the critics now are attacking him, not because of the signs like the crowd did, but because of his source. Crowd 
want to sign. The critics complain about him, his source. Where are you from, your origin? These are the academics, the scientists, the intellectuals. They question his origin and saying, are you sure you came from heaven? How can we believe it? We don't see any scientific data that empirical evidence that prove who you are. So we're not quite convinced that you are who you say you are. And Jesus lets them know here he is truly the son of God. How does he do it? He begins to explain to them and explain to them very clearly that manna is only momentary. Manna does not last for eternity. And so they need him, the true bread, that will give eternal life and that will last forever. See, it is so easy for us to get caught up and not understand what Jesus is trying to say. Jesus is trying to get us to understand bread is a necessity for time, but he is a necessity for time and eternity. That's fact number two. So often we miss these things about our Lord. Simple things. He brings it down to the basic level, but so many people are missing this. We're missing the fact that Jesus is saying you, the bread that you're seeking, crowd, is just for time. You need something for eternity. He's saying to the critic, yes, I came down from heaven. How do we know I came down? Look at the signs that I do, the works that I do, and it proves I am truly the son of God. I am deity. I am from the father, virgin born. But they missed it. And I want to ask you a question this morning. Are you seeing the signs? Have you taken note of who Jesus really is? Because if you have, you will really grasp and have eternal life. If you seek the master, Jesus Christ, you are guaranteed to receive manna. But if you seek the manna, you may miss the master. See that? If you are just looking for manna, you might miss the master. But let me tell you something. If you seek the master... You will have manna in abundance. You will have blessings overflowing. God will shower it down upon you. God will be your keeper. God will be your strong tower. God will be the one you can run to. He will be your sanctuary. He will be the one who puts light on your path. He will be the one that holds you when you walk through the valley of the shadow of death. He will be the one who's the lifter of your head. If you seek the master, let me tell you something. The manna will come from him. to receive the true manna. Jesus Christ is truly the bread of life. And I hope this morning that you are seeking the true bread. Jill Gleason wrote an article, and I'm closing. In that article, she talked about there are 15 different types of bread. 15. I was like, man, that's a lot of bread. Banana bread, sourdough bread, baguettes, pita, rye bread, multigrain bread, whole bread. What about cornbread? Anybody know about cornbread? Raise your hand if you're just give Just raise your hand for cornbread. Anybody know about cornbread? Hot water cornbread. It wasn't on her list, but it made my list. 
All these breads, chala, focaccia, just brichettes, all sorts of bread. Bread in different flavors. Bread in different forms. She says there's a lot of bread and all the bread is so unique and different. And as I was reading that article, thinking about the 15 different types of bread, I said there was one bread she failed to make and put on her list. There's one bread that supersedes all of these breads. There's one bread that gave the 15 breads. And that bread is none other than Jesus Christ, the great I am, our Lord and Savior, our master, our king. He is the true bread of life. And unlike the 15 different types of bread, Jesus Christ says, I am the bread that can sustain you not only in time. He said, but I will be there with you and usher you into eternity. And anybody here this morning glad that they have the true living bread. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Jesus Christ is telling us today, impacting those watching us via live stream. He says, I am the bread of life. Yes. He said, I'm the bread of life. He says, and if you eat this bread, he says, you never hunger and you never thirst. Not a possibility, no potentiality. He said, if you eat this bread, I'm challenging you this morning to take hold of the bread of life, Jesus Christ, because he is here for your salvation. Our impact fact for today is this, and I want you to see it. Feast on Jesus Christ, the bread of life, who is sufficient to sustain you for time and eternity. Yes, yes. If you just eat one of the 15 types of bread, that's just for time. But it definitely won't help you for eternity. So we want you to feast on Jesus Christ, the eternal bread of life. Let us pray. Father, we love you. We thank you. Lord God, you're an awesome God. None like you. Mighty and majestic in all your ways. Lord, we love you. We thank you for being the great I am. We thank you for being the bread of life. We thank you for giving us eternal life. Lord, I pray for those who are watching this via live stream who may not have placed their faith and trust in you. Lord, I pray right now that you would touch them, give them the ability to cry, to reach out to you and receive the true bread, eternal life. And for those of us who have been redeemed, have been saved, Lord, I ask that we would continue to feast for physical nourishment, but also, Lord, for spiritual nourishment that we might truly be used for your glory and for your honor. We love you. We thank you. We ask it all in the mighty majestic name of Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. Amen. I want to thank you for watching this video live stream. Please click on our YouTube channel, subscribe. We want you to stay connected. We will pray for you. We also are praying every day at 655. Join us on our prayer call. Please watch us again. Have a blessing, Lord, and thank you again for being part of our 9 o'clock service. Thank you.